Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. Thanks so much for being here with us. Hey, if you've thought to yourself, I wish I could ask a Catholic priest that. This hour is for you. It's Ask a Priest. Any question that would be appropriate for a Catholic priest. It could be a theological or apologetics question, but it could be a more pastoral question, maybe something about your prayer life, about uh, the sacraments, uh, whatever it is, uh, about marriage. Uh, you're very welcome to call 888-318-7884-888-31-TRUTH. Ask a priest, and Father Sam Keys uh, is the priest that you can ask. And I find it odd that we have Father Sam Keys on for this show because he once tried to kill me and then abandoned me. And that is a not a good combination in a priest. Um, Father Sam Keys, welcome, I guess. Oh, I did we lose him? That is he there? Oh my goodness. I thought we lost him right in the middle of me insulting him. Uh, Father <laughs> Father Sam, are you there? I'm here. Yeah. Did you hear my introduction of you? I did. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I was saying that I'm I'm safely on the other side of the country now. <laughs> Uh, just so you know, when I say that he tried to kill me and then abandoned us, uh, the, uh, he, we, uh, it's a close to 90% certainty that he is the person who gave me COVID and I did not handle COVID very well. <laughs> and then uh, he was our chaplain. And uh, then he got a wonderful uh, opportunity, and also uh, he's, uh, he's a, a, a diocesan priest, so he does what his bishop tells him to do. And so he, he was uh, transferred to Pennsylvania, where he is pastor. What's the parish that you're pastor of now, Father? Uh, St. John the Baptist in uh, Bridgeport, PA. You look much older than when you were here. Is it hard to be a pastor? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 888-318-7884 is the number. Now, I said you're a part of a diocese. Is that the correct way to say what you are? Or, or? Yeah, basically. I mean, the Ordinariate is not technically a diocese, but it functions like a diocese in law. Okay. So it, it's it's just, it's like, it's like a non-geographical diocese. Uh-huh. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> this oh. is, it's always hard to explain that. But it, 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 they call it a personal Ordinariate, right, because it attaches to persons as opposed to geographical locations. I got right? you. So your, your kind of membership travels with you wherever you happen to go. And it's, it's, a, it's not exclusive to people who have left uh, the Anglican Church to come into the Catholic Church, but that is primarily who it is, it's serving, and Father himself uh, is a former Anglican uh, priest, uh, now a Catholic priest. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think Pope Benedict very much intended it to have uh, an evangelical mission. And so uh, his hope, and I, and I think our hope, too, is that eventually, I mean, I'm sure we'll always have former Anglicans and, and, and so on, but hopefully we're growing by evangelism, you know, by uh, receiving people into the church, uh, yeah. uh, baptizing people and, and so on. Um, so uh, your average parish is, is certainly a mix between people who are former Anglicans, people who uh, have kind of come into the church for the first time, you know, through uh, one of our parishes, or those who um, have been kind of attracted to us for, for whatever other reason. 888-318-7884 is the number, 888-318-7884. Father is a Catholic priest, and if you've got a question for a Catholic priest, whether you are Catholic or not, you are welcome to call 888-318-7884. While we're on the topic, and before I go to the phones, I will just say this. there's all We have liturgy wars and liturgy uh, upsets all over the Church. Some people go to uh, various rites. I have been to all kinds of rites of the Catholic Church. And as an English speaker, there I have I there is no right I would rather be at than 
the one that you celebrate, Father, which I have no <laughs> idea what the name of it is. It's not the Anglican use. So what is it called? Well, yeah, I mean, so that, that would make sense. At least that's what historically some people have called it. But, okay. but yeah, it's the divine worship form of the Roman Rite, um, yeah. which is also not a particularly uh, descriptive title. <laughs> you know, because, no, but... because all forms of Catholic liturgy are divine worship, but sure. uh, but that is that is the name of the missal that was uh, that was promulgated uh, uh, under Pope Francis back but, um, some five or so years ago. But if you like the the beautiful use of the English language uh, and a reverent celebration of uh, the the Eucharist, uh, I don't think you can do better. Uh, so uh, let's go to Joshua, who's in South Africa, watching on YouTube. We don't want to keep him waiting because he's in South Africa. Joshua, thank you for your call. Go ahead with your question for Father. Hi. Um, I was hoping to know how do we simultaneously have free will in heaven, but also prevent it from sinning? You know, d doesn't that, like, jeopardize our free will? Why didn't God do that for us or Adam and Eve? Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, I, I think that to answer that, we need to understand what free will is in the the, the classical kind of Catholic understanding of it. Um, in the modern world, most people think of free will as simply uh, the choice between contraries. So you can do this or that, therefore you have free will. Um, the, the, the mainstream Catholic tradition, and, and this is actually kind of goes farther back to... Um, I think uh, has has roots in in in, in ancient uh, you know philosophy as well, uh, but the the mainstream Catholic tradition, especially represented by Thomas Aquinas and and, and others like him, uh, understands free will is not simply the choice between opposites, but rather it is the the power to do good. Um, so. Um, uh, you know, a, a classic example that I've seen in, you know, moral, moral theology textbooks is um, takes the scenario of a married man who, uh, so, so, so imagine these two different scenarios. You've got a married man who is, uh, who's always thinking about uh, being unfaithful to his wife. He never does. He never makes that choice, but he thinks about it a fair amount. It's a kind of, you know, constant temptation. There's a constant kind of like, hey, I'm, I have this choice that I can make and I'm choosing the right thing, but, but, uh, but I have the choice. So compare that to the married man who is so completely devoted to his wife that it never even occurs to him to have the option of being unfaithful to her. Um, so, and, and so the kind of, that's the kind of question there is which of those is more free? Well, a lot of people in the modern world would actually think, well, the, the first guy, because right, he's got the choice, right? Because freedom is just about choice. But, but actually the, the Catholic moral tradition understands the second man to be more free actually, because he is, he has a greater power and a capacity uh, for the good uh, which he has the opportunity to pursue there. So I, I think that's really the, the most important thing that like freedom in the end is not just a kind of choice. Uh, it's a power to do good. And, and when we are, uh, you know, and when our human nature is perfected, uh, and 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 fully participating in uh, the beatific vision, uh, it's 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 sort of 
un, it's unimaginable that we would choose evil. So, so it's it's a greater power actually that we have that that we're not in fact tempted uh, to to choose evil at that at that point. Um, so I, I hope that helps. That, that's how I would answer it. I mean, I'm sure that there's some other ways of thinking about it, but to me, the key thing there is understanding what, what classically Catholics understand by freedom. Joshua? Um, that answers it generally, but then I would ask, so do we still have the option to sin or not? Uh, I, I'm not... Uh, I mean, I, th I think that generally the tradition says no. Um, I know that there's a kind of classic uh, way of putting it, you know, of uh, different stages of history where, like, you know, right now we're sort of incapable of not sinning in many ways under the fall. Uh, and eventually we will be incapable of sinning. Uh, so I, I do think it would be an impossibility. Uh but I, I don't know. There's probably more to, to nuance, and there may be people who disagree with that. So I'm, I don't want to kind of give that as a definitive answer. But uh, I, I know that in in fact there is no sin. Um, uh, whether it is a theoretical possibility, uh, there might be some kind of argument about that among the theologians. So uh, that's not really a question I've encountered, to be honest. Uh, Joshua, thank you so much. It really is uh, delightful for us to get a call from uh, South Africa. Thank you for listening there. And for uh, I know you figured out how to get that call to come through here in Southern California, and we're very grateful for it. We do have to take a break. We'll take that break. We'll be right back with more Ask a Priest on Catholic Answers Live. There's only one Catholic Answers Live. Are you a coffee drinker? If so, you can now enjoy a coffee roasted to perfection by the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. Delicious Mystic Monk coffee is roasted and prepared by monks in a hidden cloistered monastery and is available in over 25 varieties. All Mystic Monk coffees are works of perfection and labors of love. For more information on how to purchase Mystic Monk coffee, visit mysticmonkcoffee.com. That's mysticmonkcoffee.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. One time somebody said to me, why don't you air these people? And I said, no, because I don't think they're Catholic. He says, by what right do you have to say that? I said, I own the network. <laughs> Mother Angelica Live Classics. Every morning, 2 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I am Cy Kelly, your host. Our guest is Father Sam Keyes. Uh, Father was a wonderful chaplain here at Catholic Answers, uh, and uh, he has a wonderful family who we always enjoyed when they were around as well. As a matter of fact, we like them better than we like him, but um, he's very, <laughs> very, very... You're not offended by that, wouldn't you? Doesn't that say that not. a father's doing I a great job? I expect you to like my family. Yeah. I expect you to like them better than me. Yeah, okay. They're more likable. <laughs> <laughs> they are very likable. But so are you, Father. It's not... All right, it's not a competition. 888-318-7884 is the number. Ask a priest. If you've got a question for a Catholic priest, you can call, whether you're Catholic or not. We'll go to Ron in Indiana, listening to EWTN on Channel 130, Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Ron, go ahead with your question for Father. Uh, uh, thanks for taking my question. Father, my question is a lot uh, simpler than the South African question to answer. 
I uh, have a question as to, my understanding is that you can only receive uh, uh, Jesus in the Eucharist twice in one day. And if that's correct, is Saturday night considered for that purpose Sunday? And so if you receive Saturday night and receive twice on Sunday, go to two different Masses on Sunday as well as the Vigil Mass, have you received three times in one day? That's my question. Okay, that's, I, I, I've heard this question before. Uh, it's a natural one to arise. Uh, it, it, it comes really from a distinction in the liturgical calendar and uh, the non-liturgical calendar, just the regular calendar. Uh, and the presumption of canon law, as I understand it, uh, where it prescribes the number of times one can receive communion in a day, uh, that pertains to a, a calendar day. So uh, even though like in certain aspects of the liturgical calendar, uh, there's some sort of Jewish aspects of it in which uh, days are anticipated at sundown the day before, uh, but that that doesn't apply to um, that doesn't apply to that idea of how many uh, times you can receive communion in a day. And in a similar way, it doesn't apply to priests, uh, the number of times priests can say Mass in a day. So, for example, um, you know, most priests can say Mass at, you know, once or maybe even twice a day. Uh, often, uh, because of the shortage of priests, uh, a priest is authorized by the bishop. He has the faculty to say uh, up to three Masses on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation. Um, and so a priest could, in theory, celebrate three Sunday Masses on Sunday, and a vigil mass the night before because even though liturgically speaking it is the sunday mass uh and it counts for the obligation or for the faithful uh and it's the same liturgy but it's it's a different day you know uh, on the calendar so so yeah that's that's how it generally works so so yeah you can in okay fact, yeah that answers my question if, if, if you go to all those masses you can you you know the 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 the, the one kind of spe um little caveat that that the law gives is that it needs to be at a celebration of the mass right so so if you're receiving communion a second time it shouldn't be at like a communion service presided over by a deacon or if um you know if you've been to mass uh and received communion and then you go and visit your uh, relative in the hospital and uh, somebody happens to be bringing them communion you shouldn't receive at that uh, moment but but you can receive at an actual celebration of of the mass okay yeah the reason why i asked is that happened this weekend i went to vigil mass and i went to sunday morning mass and then i went to a spanish mass in the afternoon i got thinking today i wonder if that was three times in one day because i know the vigil at you know, uh, is qualifies for your Sunday obligation, but I didn't know the other. So you've answered my question. Yeah, yeah. appreciate it. Well, yeah. thank you, Ron. Thank yeah. you very much. Um, here, I got a problem for you. If I already solved this problem, Father, but I, I want to throw it out mm. because this is actually about to happen to me. Uh, you get on an airplane on a Saturday night, and you fly overnight, and you land in New Zealand, and it's Monday morning when you get to New Zealand. You oh, never, no. you never experienced Sunday. So now what, what do you do for Mass? I, I, 
I think the world just exploded there. Uh, I don't know. I, I know that's actually what's going to happen to me, though. I'm I mean, leaving on Saturday night. I land on that. Why, <laughs> why would you do that? No, well, that's what they scheduled me for. I didn't get a choice in the matter. <laughs> no, but there's Saturday really vigil mass. That, that is a really interesting question. Yeah, I mean, it's gosh, I don't know how this applies to time zones. I mean, I suppose, you you know, you could be traveling through time zones constantly and never actually hit a Sunday. Yeah, uh, that would be uh, <laughs> I think this is where we want to think in terms of, you know, not the letter, but the spirit, spirit of law, right? <laughs> the, the law, you know, which is that, you know, it, it, a normal week has a Sunday and a day of the Lord's Day. And right. so it, even if you even if you have missed it, uh, in, in terms of your actual experience of the t- calendar because of time zones, you know, you, you, you probably need to make an effort to observe the Lord's Day in some way, you know. Yeah. Um, okay. But if, you know, <laughs> but that, I mean, the fact is, if you're on a plane for 20 million hours, you know. Y- well, it's only 13 the, hours, but you cross you know, the date line. So you never yeah. see Sunday. You never experience Sunday. You just go straight from Saturday to Monday. Yeah, that's a weird. That's a, I know. That, I, that it, is. That's an interesting question. Yeah. But the, well, here it's easy for me because the plane yeah. doesn't leave until 10 p.m., so I can go to the oh, yeah. 5 yeah. Uh, p.m. vigil mass. But when yeah. I first realized that that I'm not I'm gonna ju- I'm not just gonna <laughs> skip Sunday mass. I'm gonna skip Sunday. I didn't know <laughs> what to do. Uh, Ron, thanks very much for the call. Let's go to Eric in Idaho, listening on 102.3 FM. Eric, go ahead with your question for Father. Hello. Um... Uh, my brother and my sister-in-law are married only by the civil marriage, and um, they're divorcing now. But my question is if uh, if they can uh, already go to confession and have Holy Communion if they're not divorced yet. Okay. Uh, I, I think I understand the situation uh, rightly. Uh being separated from one's spouse is not in itself a state of mortal sin, which which makes one um, which cuts one off from the sacramental life, right? So, um, the issue that's often faced by by Catholics, the, the kind of the the big one that kind of gets uh, is often an issue, is not it's not Catholics who are divorced; it's Catholics who are divorced and remarried. Um, and and who uh, and whose mar- who are living in a state which uh, purports to be marriage but is not marriage in the eyes of the church and that's the kind of objective state of sin which prevents one from accessing the sacraments unless one has you know indicated uh, you know one's repentance and and there 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 are things you can do to kind of start towards the path of, of reconciliation there uh, but but simply being um, separated from one's spouse, while it may be a cause, uh, that's something that varies, right? I mean, there may be, in fact, good reasons to be separated from one's spouse. You know, if you have an abusive situation or something where somebody really needs to, you know, um, get away, uh, that's not that's not a sin. Um, 
it's so uh, just just objectively speaking, right? There may there may be all sorts of situational things that make those those actions uh, sinful. So um, I, I hope that helps to to say that you know if if you simply have a couple who is who is separating, the kind of question of whether they're divorced in civil terms it doesn't matter. Now I, I I'm sorry if I maybe I missed a, a bit, an important point at the beginning though. Uh, you were talking about did I think you said that they weren't. They weren't married I'm sorry, in the church. I, I maybe, okay, yeah, okay. I, so I somehow, <laughs> I, I, I mentally jumped over that point. That's an important one. So um, uh, I, I don't know why I went to the other situation uh, that, that 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 I just outlined. Okay, so you've got a you've got a couple who's not married in the eyes of the church. Um, so the question is then, how? I, I think with any uh, with any situation, and this is this is what you know, sometimes happens in the confessional, if somebody is in a, an invalid marriage and they want to come back to the sacraments because, you know, they, they know that they're living in an objective situation of sin, um, all they have to do is go to confession and and say, you know, here's what here's my situation. Um, and, and the priest is going to want to know, OK, can you can you commit to not, you know, uh, not living in a situation of sin anymore? In other words, can you um, can you, you know, um, have, is there a reasonable, um, legitimate attempt to exit that situation to maybe, you know, sometimes some, somebody can't immediately move out, but you can say, you know, we're going to live as brother and sister. Um, and, and in those cases, yeah, the person can, um, come back to the sacraments. Uh, so, so the kind of what, whether they're married or divorced in the eyes of the state is really kind of, is really irrelevant to whether or not they uh, can approach the sacraments in a state of grace. Um, I, I, Does that I help that, you, Erica? Yeah, and I'm I'm sorry that I I, I kind of made it more confusing. Um, <laughs> that <laughs> he gave me COVID, so I mean it, it's constant problems <laughs> with him. So, <laughs> did, so did that help though? Clarify. Yeah, go ahead. Well, just to clarify, because my brother is actually um, victim victim of, of abuse, and he's oh. di getting divorced, and so he can actually go and and um, then just start conf confessing and going to Holy Communion, right? Taking. Yeah, tell yeah, yeah. He, I mean, yeah, he needs to go to confession, but but yeah, the mm -hmm. fact that he. Uh, the fa as, as long as he's, you know, making a full confession, uh, that's that's really all that's needed. Erica, thank you. Uh, thanks very, very much for the call. I do hope that that was helpful. All the lines are full. Uh, we have Father Sam Keys with us. It's Ask a Priest this hour on Catholic Answers Live. Kelly's in Albany, New York. She's listening to EWTN on Channel 130, Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Kelly, thank you for waiting. Go ahead with your question for Father. Uh, yes. Is it possible, first of all, thank you for taking my call, um, is it possible that uh, during adoration, um, that um, like in a chapel-type situation, that Satan could also be there in the room somewhere? Hmm. Uh, that's interesting. So I'm, I'm probably not going to give you a very satisfactory answer because this, you know, kept the area of of you know demonology and 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 kind of spiritual warfare is not really a specialty of mine but i i would say in principle i don't 
I, I, I think it's per perfectly possible for um, devil or a, 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 a you know a, one of the fallen angels, the demons, to be to be present in some sense. Um, you know, just like the just like the the angels, they can be all all over the place. Like there's an, there's this entire invisible world. Um, which, in a sense, is 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 kind of under and alongside, you know, the visible world. Uh, that, you know, I, I think that there's much more there than than we could ever be aware of on on the visible level. Uh, so, uh, so, so I think yes. Uh, however, uh, um, I, I think it's fair to say that the in a particular place like that, where the Blessed Sacrament is exposed, um, I, I think there would be some pretty severe um, limitations on um, demonic activity, uh, it just just by, by nature of, uh, of the place and the sanctity of, of what's happening. Um, but I, again, I don't, I don't want to think in, in kind of magical terms. Uh, in, in other words, I, I think, you know, what we're dealing with is, is, is individual um, uh, wills. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to speak uh, about what, you know, what every demon can and can't do uh, in, in a given situation. I, I, that's, that's, again, that's something that's not kind of my, my expert, expertise. And um, there may be some better sources that, Sai or someone else can can point out there, um, uh, but yeah. Well, does that Sorry. did that make sense to you? What Father said, though, Kelly. Well, it it actually does. I think there was a specific circumstance where uh, a lot of evil was happening in the overall building, mm -hmm. um, where this chapel was, and I just felt like it made it more open to that happening. Mm -hmm. If that makes if that makes well, sense. you know, let's let me just put it this way: I, I, the there are a lot of evil things happened in in the direct presence of our Lord during His life. You know, so uh, I think I think often the holy, you know, brings out and highlights the the reality and the presence of evil in the world. So often they're right alongside one another. Kelly, thank you. You can probably hear the music. We've got to take a quick break. There's two lines open: eight 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 three one eight. 7884. Want to get right to the core of Christ's saving message? Want a roadmap for living the life Christ calls you to? It's time to look again at the Beatitudes. In his new book, Heart of the Gospel, How the Beatitudes Show Us God's Plan for Happiness, Father Sebastian Walsh demonstrates compellingly how these eight declarations make up the foundation, the essence, and the final goal of Jesus' teaching. Heart of the Gospel illuminates the scriptural passages from which we get the Beatitudes, explains the significance of their wording, their order, and their timing in Jesus' ministry, and it draws out edifying parallels and connections with salvation history in the lives of the saints. Most importantly, Father Walsh offers wise counsel from his own work as a priest and teacher to help you live the Beatitudes in your own life. Order your copy of Heart of the Gospel today at shop.catholic.com or ask for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. If you're not a Bible scholar, the full message of how the Sunday Mass readings fit together can be tough to comprehend. Apologist Carlo Broussard is here to help. Join Carlo every Friday for the Sunday Catholic Word podcast. 
In each episode, he unpacks the scripture readings for that Sunday and brings them all together so you can better understand and defend the faith. Visit SundayCatholicWord.com to subscribe. That's SundayCatholicWord.com. Our Lord needs articulate defenders of the truth to spread the joy of the Catholic faith. Catholic Answers Monthly Giving Club, Society 315, helps you fulfill the call in 1 Peter 3.15 to always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in you. For as little as $10 a month, you'll help Catholics grow in faith, bring lapsed Catholics home, and lead non-Catholics to the truth. Go to casociety315.com and join today. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. Got a deal going on over at shop.catholic.com. If you like deals, I mean, I don't know how you are with deals, but we've got more than uh, 500 items that have been produced by Catholic Answers, whether they're audio or whether they are video or books or whatever. And they're all on sale right now, 30% off over at shop.catholic.com if you use the promo code St. Michael, S-T Michael. And, uh, I know that Jack was trying to communicate something to me from the booth. But I don't know what that was. Jack, we're going to work on your signaling a little bit. I'm reading the ad, and Jack is doing a pantomime of something. Was was there? A, it seemed like there might have been an Eskimo and a snowman involved. No? Okay, that was just me. That's how I read it. Okay, whatever. Uh, 888-318-7884 is the number here. Uh, Father Sam Keys is our guest, and it's Ask a Priest here at Catholic Answers. Up next, where are, where, what, what line am I going? Jack got me flustered now. We're going to Mark in North Dakota, right? All right. Uh, Mark in North Dakota listening on 1370 AM. Hi, Mark. Go ahead with your question for Father. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, I'm curious uh, about... Wait, is this the best phone you've got? Have you got... Have you, is, or can you, talk, can you talk directly into it, Mark? Okay, can you... Can you oh, that's good. That's very good. Yes. Thank you. All right. Apologize for that. Uh, I understand the concept uh, of the Pope being the Bishop of Rome. My question is, uh, as a practical matter, is the Holy Father also held a collateral duty? Is he running the Diocese of Rome as its bishop, or was that a symbolic title? Oh, Mark, we have never had this question in all the time I've been here. This is a great question. Uh, Father? The answer is yes. No, it's, not, it's an either-or question. You can't say <laughs> yes to that. I'll, okay, I'll say more. Yes, he is actually the Bishop of Rome. Uh, yes, he does is actually in charge of the Diocese of Rome. Uh, and uh, now, how exactly he exercises that governance over the Diocese of Rome has varied, I think, very, very widely over the centuries. Um, I think, you know, pretty... Obviously, in you know the early centuries, the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, was was much more um, you know involved in the kind of day to day you know running and uh, ministry in the Church of Rome. Uh, in the modern world, I think uh, often there has been a bishop who was appointed by the Pope as a kind of vicar uh, for the Diocese of Rome, uh, who who runs it. Uh, so somebody who's a member of the, the papal, you know, curia, who, who has a particular responsibility for the Diocese of Rome. Uh, now, interestingly, Pope Francis has, uh, and I, uh, 
I mean, I'll just mention this, and I, I don't really know a whole lot about it, but I know that he has he has an act, actually taken a little bit more of a of a direct active hand in in the running of the diocese uh, than than most of his recent predecessors, um, and I think that. Uh, uh, well, this is just kind of speculation, but but it it seems like he has it. You know, a few different times wanted to kind of uh, model, uh, you know, in the diocese of Rome, the things that he wants to see diocesan bishops do elsewhere. Um, you know, I don't know that that's been a sort of explicitly stated intention, but uh, but but he's had he he's I, he's he has um, gone on record and kind of been uh, noted, you know, in the Catholic press and uh, and so on for actually just taking more part in some of the kind of regular uh, you know meetings and kind of decision for the diocese. But, but in general, the answer is yes. But you know, because of his ministry for the Universal Church, uh, the Pope doesn't tend to spend uh, most of his, you know, day-to-day -day, um, life, you know, focused on ministries locally. Um, he, he has to think more about the, the, the wider church. Does that, that help you, Mark? I kind of had a suspicion that that was how it worked. I went on a website, and I didn't have a lot of time, and I did not, it was not to translate the Italian. Oh, yeah. But uh, one of the things I was kind of surprised at is that it is actually called a diocese of Rome. I would think it would be an archdiocese, but that's that's yep. just probably a whole different thing about the church governance that we could probably spend a lot of time on. That's so funny. I've, I've never thought about that, that, the, yeah, that Rome is it's, not called an archdiocese. No, it's, it's true. It's just the diocese of Rome. Yep. Ah, Mark, what an interesting call. Uh, yeah. Thanks very much. It's, but it's it's also interesting that you know he the the question of whether the Pope is actually the Bishop of Rome or that's just symbolic uh, title is a great question because in a certain way, like we have a cardinal here in San Diego and he has a what's called a titular see, but uh, he's not really a, an Italian uh, bishop. That's that is actually more symbolic than real that he has that. That C in Rome, which makes him, uh, you know, part of the College of Cardinals. 888-318-7884. That was so fascinating what I just said that I thought that Father would respond to it. And he, he was like, <laughs> that's your problem, dude. That is your problem. Well, that whole you thing know. was your problem. <laughs> Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I, so I, I'm so used to you being with you in person in the studio, and I it is and weird, I, huh? And I miss it. I'm just like it's just it's just sadness to have this. Oh, this I'm so sorry. Gap, I'm sorry that you, you are know, afflicted with this this difficulty. <laughs> Jerry is in Austin, Texas, listening on Catholic.com. Jerry, you're very welcome here. Go ahead with your question for Father. Thank you, uh, Father. I have a question. Um, it's centered around this little girl who's not baptized. She's um, about ten. Uh, parents aren't together. Mom and her family have no faith, and the father and his family are devout Catholics. My friend is the grandmother of the little girl, and she's very worried because she's, the little girl's not baptized. Uh, they've talked to the priest. The priest wants um, the uh, wants both parents to be in on this baptism, but the mom is just doesn't want anything to do with it. Is there anything that I can ha give to the, the grandmother, a book, or maybe some questions on how to help raise the kid, hmm. I hate to say covertly, but maybe covertly, <laughs> to have some faith? The, gra hmm. again, the grandmother is very worried about this little girl. So is the father, you, you said that the father's 
family was Catholic? Is the father the not father's, practicing? Yeah, the father's practicing. Okay. But but the priest uh, has said he wants both of them to desire a baptism before he does it. Oh, so who does the so, child yeah, the father live with? And and do the parents live live together? I mean, with with the child? No, no, no. Okay. I think it was kind of an accident, and they are, they're not together. Okay, so so who is who who has the ch- the custody of the child? They both. They they okay. bounce back and forth. So they kind of share. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's well. I, I don't have a. I mean, I don't know. Sai might have a recommendation for a book. I. I um, but um, I. I will just say that. In in law, at least, and, and I know that different dioceses have maybe different kind of pastoral guidelines on this kind of thing. Um, you know, the ideal yeah. is, of course, that both parents consent to the baptism. Uh, but I'm just I'm look. I have the law in front of me. Uh, Canon 868 uh, says for an infant to be baptized licitly, the parents, or at least one of them, or the person who legitimately takes their place must consent. Um, so in other words, it is not required in law that both parents consent. Um, the, the, the law yeah. assumes that you need, you, you need at least one parent, ideally both, but, but, but at least one parent to consent. Um, and uh, now the second uh, requirement is that there must be a founded hope that the infant will be brought up in the Catholic religion. If such hope is altogether lacking, the baptism is, is to be delayed. Okay, and 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 it may be that that's where the the priest is. He's thinking about that, but um, because you you don't want to, if there's, if there's, for example, you have a situation where, you know both parents are just total, um, you know, kind of pagans, and you've got a, a kind of yeah. faithful, you know, grandparent or something, and the, the and the grandparent wants them to be baptized, but the parents, they don't really care one way or the other. You know, that's not a great situation, because there's not really a reasonable um, hope that the child is going to be brought up in the faith. Um, you, you want to, uh, to, to give that baptism a chance to kind of grow into maturity. Um, and uh, so, so I, I, yeah, again, I don't know that situation, but I would say I, I would kind of try to get the child baptized if, the, if she's got at least one parent who is going to, to make a reasonable effort of raising her in the faith. That, that's, that's really what you need. Um, and uh, again, I don't, I don't want to kind of, uh, I don't know what the motivations of the priest who, who said otherwise, but, but, but to me, you know, the church generally needs to err on the side of giving the sacraments when it comes to this this kind of situation. We don't want to withhold baptism um, uh, out of a kind of over-scrupulosity about it. Uh, so, uh, that, but that's that's my opinion, at least. Okay. Yeah, I like uh, Putting baptism aside, is there something she can do, any ideas to help push her into going in the direction of having faith? Because the other side doesn't just doesn't want to even consider it. Well, uh, are you Does talking about, the, sense? I mean, about questions uh, like how, where to, does how life to come from? And, well, how to inculcate faith in the child? I mean, the the child needs to be brought to church. I mean, the, that's there's. I mean, that's, yeah. let's stick with the let's stick with the basics. You know, of of bringing the child, um, you know, to church and having the 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 the, the parent who is a Catholic be very. Um, 
uh, obvious and clear about their about their beliefs and their practice and to live a life in accordance with the teaching of the church. Um, th- that's the most powerful thing, you know. And if that's yeah. and if that's absent, then you know nothing you tell. <laughs> the child is gonna is gonna stick, you know, because they're 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 looking, they're watching, and uh, and and they want to, you know, connect, you know, what you say with with what you do. Yeah, that well, that really helps. Very good, Jerry. Um, thank you very much for the call. We got to take a break. We'll be back with more. Ask a priest with Father Sam Keys right after this on Catholic Answers Live. It's all about the truth. Catholic Answers Live. Underwriting for Catholic Answers Live is provided by Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. On the web at realestateforlife.org. Hi friends, Janet Williams here. Join me every Wednesday on Women of Grace Live as I welcome new age researcher and blogger for Women of Grace, Sue Brinkman. Sue and I will be talking about all the wacky things that could distract you from your faith. Psychics, yoga, Reiki, crystals, acupuncture, Ouija boards, tarot cards, and astral traveling are just a few of the stranger things we discuss. That's why we call it Wacky Wednesday. So join us every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. The Catechism defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and His gospel by word and the testimony of life. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like St. Paul Street Evangelists out in the public square sharing the good news. We're a Catholic nonprofit that starts conversations by handing out free sacramentals. Then we employ our method of listen, befriend, proclaim, and invite. Catholic Answers is supported in part by St. Paul Street Evangelization. Visit streetevangelization.com to learn more. Welcome back. Catholic Answers Live. I am Cy Kellett, your host. Still sort of settling back in after all the excitement and the big adrenaline rush of the uh, Catholic Answers Conference. The annual conference uh, was on on God, and it went very, very well. I, I loved uh, Scott Hahn's talk. I Sister Regina Marie Gorman. Did you hear that talk, Zach? That was otherworldly, wasn't it? Uh, Floriani uh, sang the musical group Floriani. They sang a beautiful. They sang the Our Father in Aramaic, Aramaic, uh, in a beautiful arrangement. It was, man, it's a it's a great few days. Uh, next year, I'm kind of looking forward to the conference next year because it's on um, on the sa- the parables and sayings of Jesus, and it, Jesus is very accessible. I feel like I'm gonna. It's it's a it's a very. I'm not saying that. I don't know. It's just you. You can. Um, I guess there's the the. It's not just a, a theological topic, but there, it's a spiritual topic as well. And there's a, a lot of spiritual good I think that'll come from talking about the parables and sayings of Jesus. So, but that's a long way off. I, I'm just. Uh, I just noticed that that's the topic for next year and looking good. But thanks to everybody who came out. And uh, I'm sorry for those who weren't able to. But the talks will get out on the YouTube's at some point. Some probably early next year, maybe something like that. Okay. Uh, a next call, it's Ask a Priest this hour, by the way, on Catholic Answers Live. Uh, there's a couple lines open, 888-318-7884. Our guest is Father Sam Keys, and now we have an anonymous caller from Pennsylvania. Uh, we're awful glad you're here, anonymous caller. Go ahead with your question for Father. Good evening. Uh, Father Keys, welcome to the area. Uh, Thank you. 
Bridgeport, and my question concerns the Eucharistic prayers. Uh, all four of the Eucharistic prayers say that uh, the blood will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. I often wondered why I didn't say it would be poured out for you and for all for the forgiveness of sins. Hmm, that's okay. Uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, just so, so we're clear, you know, the words that are there in the Eucharistic prayers, and you're right, that that is um, that, that is part of what we call the institution narrative, the, the words of institution, which are in uh, all of the authorized Eucharistic prayers in the Roman Rite. Uh, th that's just, it's a direct quotation um, from, from our Lord in Scripture. Um, I'm looking, I think it's Matthew 26, 28. Um, and uh, there's, I, I, I'm sure there's, I'm, I'm actually looking, I have in front of me, because I was curious about this, uh, about uh, what kind of the fathers say about this in general. Um, so, you know, there's, there seems to be some, some different interpretation of it. Um, one of them, I just noticed here in one of the kind of medieval glosses on that verse, uh, it says that um, Christ did this to be said that the words with you may refer to the greater part of them and not necessarily the whole. Uh, and he's uh, he's speaking especially there to about Judas, who, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think, why doesn't it say all? I mean, I, I'm just going to kind of make a speculative comment here. Um, it's not that it's not to imply that Christ's blood is somehow insufficient for all. Um, in fact, we get various references in the New Testament which which clearly attest to that. Um, I think, especially like in the Epistle to the Hebrews, where there's this kind of really um, exalted language about the sacrifice of Christ and it's kind of once for all. I mean, in, in terms of time, but but also in, in terms of its all-sufficiency. Um, so uh, that's clearly not what's meant here. Um, it, it may be that simply what is meant is that not all will actually partake of it, that, that it, um, you know, and, and this would in, in a way be, I think, that the kind of most common um, Catholic reading on that, which is which is just that um, God's grace is available to all, um, but not all partake of it. You know, it, it, uh, the fact is, um, Christ's blood is sufficient for all, but not all actually receive of um, the the benefits of of that. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I think that would be my my reading on it, um, but. I'm sure that there's more um, more to it. I'm, I'm actually kind of curious myself, but I, now now it's not the time for it. But I, but I'm sure that that's I would not be surprised because that's a passage in the Gospels themselves. I'm sure there's been a lot of reflection of that, um, you know, in the fathers and in the tradition. So it's something where if you're really interested in that, I would I encourage you to to, to look a little bit more because I'm sure that you'll find um, some interesting interpretation. Uh, but I will leave it there because we are nearing the end and still have lots and lots of lines full. So okay. I, I, don't, I hope that that was helpful to you, Anonymous. Zach is here in California listening on 95.7 FM. Zach, thank you for the call. Go ahead with your question for Father. And still. Hey, um, so one of my coworkers asked me, um, the, well, she told me, she said, uh, there's 
Sunday, there's nothing in the Bible that has that says Sunday is the new Sabbath. And since there's, there's like no biblical mandate for Sunday sacredness, um, then we shouldn't be going to church on Sunday. And mm-hmm. so I thought, so I was like, ah. And I went to my study group, and no one has been able to give me, show me nothing. So I said, let me go to professionals. Okay, that that sounds great. Do you, do you happen to know what religion she is? The, the woman who said this? Uh, she's Pentecostal, Baptist, something like that. I, oh, I, okay. I'm not sure. I would, it's I would non-denominational, have... Okay. But, but it came, it, it came, um, uh, her, her, the name of, she goes to a vineyard church, so I don't know what denomination that is. Okay. Father, um, yeah. wh- why do we worship on Sunday? Yeah. Uh, so we, we worship on Sunday primarily because it's the day of the resurrection. Uh, so this is one of those things where, uh, and I, I was just looking on Catholic.com, and, and, and I would just encourage you too, if you go to Catholic.com and you just type in Sunday Sabbath, you're going to pull up a lot of different things, and you might find some people who are much smarter than me, uh, especially on the some of the kind of biblical questions. Um, to my knowledge, there's uh, there's not a sort of clear, you know, scripture alone kind of warrant for, uh, aside from just the fact of the resurrection. Um, uh, although you, you do see, uh, I think, references to the Lord's Day in the New Testament, uh, and that, that means Sunday, right? And so, um, so it's, it's not kind of spelled out clearly in the New Testament in the sense of St. Paul saying, oh, by the way, uh, we all understand very clearly uh, that, you know, the Sabbath is now Sunday. Uh, it's, 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 I think, very strongly implied throughout with the kind of references to the Lord's Day uh, and the day of resur- as the day of resurrection. Um, and, but, but the kind of broader, um, you know, out, apart from the New Testament itself, um, you know, we have just just very kind of clear records of, of the early church talking about um, how the the kind of Old Testament um, law applying to the Sabbath has been kind of fully um, realized uh, on uh, Sunday, and and it, it, this gets a little bit complicated because the early church uh, often speaks uh, using these kind of um, uh, mysterious kind of uh, language. In other words, uh, the Sabbath is the seventh day, whereas like Sunday, they talk about Sunday as being the first day of the week, but it's also the eighth day, right? So there's this kind of really common uh, uh, theme that you get in the fathers of the eighth day, which is the kind of day of resurrection. So, you know, creation has seven days, but then there's this kind of perfection that's added to that in this, in the eighth day, uh, which is, which is then, um, celebrated on the first day. So, so they'll talk about it being the first day and the eighth day. And, uh, and, and so a lot of those kind of understandings of the day, the Lord's day as a kind of specific day set apart in the week, uh, to, to honor the Lord, uh, those, you know, the early church, uh, makes a very kind of conscious decision, uh, to, to observe that on Sunday as the day of resurrection. Um, and, you know, to, uh, how you justify that, again, I, w- I would recommend you kind of, you, you look at some of the things that some of the um, the authors and, and, and apologists uh, at Catholic Answers have said, because I know that there's a lot of good stuff. But I think that the, it, it, 
to me, the kind of heart of the matter, it does come down to questions of authority, like so many kind of Protestant Catholic, um, you know, <laughs> you know, points of, of, of divergence in that, uh, you know, we understand that the apostles and the apostolic church are speaking with the Lord's own authority. And so when they, when they recognize that all of the kind of, um, all the kind of meaning of the Sabbath is now fully, uh, uh, fully made manifest, fully realized, uh, then fully perfected, right, in, in this, in the Lord's Day, the celebration of Sunday, the day of resurrection, you know, they really speak with the Lord's own authority there. That that's not just a kind of arbitrary decision uh, of the early church. Um, you know, whereas if you have a kind of, uh, you know, uh, Reformation idea of, you know, Scripture alone, uh, you get into other kind of problems. Uh, but uh, then, then you have to make some other decisions about how to interpret some of the kind of New Testament stuff. And that's where, again, there's, diff there's, there's a lot of division even among Protestants, because you do have, uh, you have groups like, like most famously, of course, the Seventh-day Adventists, uh, who, um, who advocate for maintaining and kind of absolute hold on uh, the, the Sabbath as the seventh day, whereas, whereas most, of the, most of the Protestant churches understand, uh, I think, following uh, the early church's witness, that, um, th that the Lord's Day, the, the Day of Resurrection, is, is now the new Sabbath. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I hope that helps, but um, maybe you have further questions. Uh, do you, did you, uh, we only have a minute left. Do you want to follow that up, or did, did that help you? No, uh, that, that was helpful. I, but I just didn't know if there was, like, a, a scripture I can go to or something that's an official something that says I can uh, direct. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, there there are like in the first letter to the Corinthians, in in the in, in the Acts of the Apostles, uh, and in Luke's Gospel, I think um, all references that you would want to use. But um, you you could just look on our website catholic.com and and find uh, some of the articles on Sunday. Uh, just maybe just ask. Just put in the search bar at catholic.com. Why do Catholics worship on Sunday? And you'll get a good number of articles, some of which are refuting the Seventh-day Adventists, but not all of them. Uh, so there are, there, I mean, Father alluded to, the, you know, all the, the, the scripture that says they gathered on the first day of the week, they broke the, the there's reference to the breaking of the bread on the first day of the week and, and all of that. Uh, but that would, but all of those would be in those articles uh, that you would get there. So Zach, that will uh, do it for us. We will leave it for there. Leave it, not leave it for there, just leave it there. And uh, we'll, <laughs> Father, uh, thank you very much uh, for putting up with my nonsense, but also for a very fine hour. May we have your blessing before we go. Yes. The peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. Uh, what's your parish there, Father? St. John the Baptist. St. John the Baptist. Well, they got a good uh, pastor. I hope that you and your family are settling in and that, it, and that the parish uh, is, uh, is uh, getting used to you as the pastor as well, and you're all becoming friends. Uh, yeah, we're having a great time. Very good. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow, God willing, right here, Catholic Answers Live.